0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
1: Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here. And before we get to the interview, I just wanted to reach out and make sure you knew how valuable ratings and reviews on iTunes are to the success of this pod. So if you enjoy these, head over there and let me know. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks for being in the conversation. Why did Jason Kidd get fired? Has a cloud been lifted from over the team? What has their new coach done to lead to better results? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast. I am pleased to welcome to the show today, Matt Velasquez, who is the Bucks beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So I have the traditional uh, Wisconsin greeting for you, Matt. Yeah, hey there. Hey there. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. And, you know, I figured we would talk a little bit about uh, the past and what happened with Jason Kidd. And perhaps a little bit what's going forward. So let's drag it in the mud. Let's get dirty right away here. Like what? What happened? What was the? What's the? Well, how about this? What was the official reason for why they dismissed Jason Kidd?
0: Yeah, I think the official reason was that they thought that they had a much more talented team than their record showed. I mean, at the time they were 23 and 22, and and when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo and you have you know Chris Middleton, who you know is in the conversation uh, to be an all-star D- didn't make it this year, but he's, he's a guy you have to talk about. Uh, and then, you know, you bring in Eric Bledsoe and you know, Malcolm Brogdon, the, the rookie of the year last year. I mean, you have some guys, and, and especially when you look at the Eastern Conference, it seems like this team was talented enough to to be competing for the four spot. That's where they want to be. That's what one of their goals is, is to be in the top half of the league. And, and they weren't there. And they they felt that the best chance to get there would be to just kind of have a change in leadership, change in direction, and, and just try and do something new. So that was the, the official reason. That's what they wanted to to accomplish with that change. And, you know, so far they're 4-0 since Jason Kidd's left. Not, you know, obviously their schedule helps. Yeah. Um, you know, but they have been playing better. They they have looked better. They haven't necessarily looked uh, super different. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, you know, and then we'll have to see how Jabari Parker is uh, when he gets back on
1: Friday. Okay. Yeah. So so hold all those thoughts because let, let's stay with this for one second. Your hair is very short, in a way that you can keep your ear very low to the ground. How surprising was this? When it actually happened, or were there, did you hear whispers of this happening? Uh, all the, uh, or when did the whispers start, or were they ever whispered until the day they fired him? You know,
0: I, I was kind of surprised in the sense that I didn't think that they would pull the plug uh, this soon. Um, you know, I, I thought that he would get to the end of the season that they still had time, that's kind of the, you know, whenever you talk to Jason, especially, you know, he he would point out, hey, like, we're we're better than we were last year, we have the opportunity to uh, improve, we still have time, you know, you need to be playing your best basketball later, and we did that uh, last year, that's what he, you know, that's, that's what he would say, you know, they won, I think, 13, 14 games in March of last year, um, you know, so they still had time to kind of come together, and so it was a little surprising to me that, that right before a game on a Monday is when all this, this happened, um, it wasn't, a surprise in the sense that it could happen. I mean, there there have been kind of talk and a general understanding that, you know, he was one of the coaches in the league who was probably on one of the hotter seats um, just because, you know, they, they had that team that they thought that they could, they could be much better than they were. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's just a function of I was surprised by the timing, not necessarily surprised by the result.
1: Right, I agree. Uh, Now, because we've been talking about this for probably a year and a half and looking at the underachieving defense. The offense was funny because it was top 10. I think it's probably still top 10 now. But it was so frustrating from an aesthetic standpoint to watch what they were doing and how it wasn't really helping guys like Adedekupo. So, you know, it's a kind of interesting thing. Now, when you say they were fired him before the game, uh he he must have been fired like in the morning, right? Like way before, or was this how 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 quickly do you think that was that the decision was made that day?
0: No, it, it was an afternoon thing. Um I have like my general understanding is that he had kind of an idea that it might be coming. Um and I know that the team, you know, they said it happened pretty quickly. Um I I generally uh I think that that wasn't like uh, they lost to Philadelphia and then over the weekend they decided it wasn't like they lost Saturday, Monday, he's gone. I think it's probably longer term than that. Uh, Maybe like a week or so that they kind of started thinking about it and kind of putting the wheels in motion. I mean, getting... Yeah, Having the idea and, you know, G- GM John Horse, you know, it was his decision and he had to run that by ownership and they have a multi-person ownership group. So you have to get everybody on board and that, that's always been their, their MO for that ownership group is they have to do everything and be unanimous unless or they won't make a decision. So you have to get everyone on the same page, figure out what your plan is and draw that up. You can't just kind of wing it and say, oh, let's just fire them and like, we'll see what happens. It's like you have right. to have a, a coherent plan together. Um, so the, the the timeline is uh, it was after shoot-around because he was at shoot-around that day as the coach uh, You know nothing was had been changed at that point and then afterwards um, Yeah, that's when it started to get out. I think it was like two o'clock central time or oh. uh, close to three o'clock central time um, You know and during that time he had gotten a call from Giannis uh, That we've all heard about now through all the reporting that's happened and Giannis has acknowledged that it happened um, and that was the first time he had been told, even though he hadn't, you know, uh, I, I've heard that he kind of, like I said, he kind of knew that it was happening. It wasn't necessarily a shock to him when Giannis told him, uh, um, okay. but then Giannis, when Giannis talked to him, it was about, it was when Jason was about to go meet with, uh, general manager, John Horst and, uh, president, uh, Peter Fagan. So, uh, that's what happened next. And then a couple hours later,
1: uh, they played a game, right? So it's funny because when you say it all happened quickly, part of me almost feels like they brought him in, they were talking to him, and whatever questions he was answering, they didn't like. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to fire you. But but obviously that's not the case as you describe it because there needed to be a lot of uh, voting going on and and some agreement. Uh, But – It sounds to me like they must have had the vote or whatever, like after the shoot around, right? Because that that timing is interesting where it's so tight. Where, um, why would they have let him if they had voted already? uh, You know, it seems like that would be the minute you'd say you're gone and, um, and then, and then you fire him. But you know what I mean? Like, how would they have had the vote? He's they know he's gone and then let him coach the shoot around. That seems weird to me.
0: Yeah. I I don't know exactly when the vote took place. Um, and I'm not sure necessarily how involved the shoot-around was or, or anything like that. Um, usually he doesn't talk at home shoot-arounds. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, maybe neither here nor there, but that's a thing that, you know, the media wouldn't have had, had access to him that day anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by replacing him with, with assistant coach Joe Prunty, I mean, you still had the same right, uh, a same a familiar face in there, the, the same game plan, same strategy, you know, that you'd already put together. You're not going to kind of be wasting whatever they went through in shoot-around. So, uh, I'm not sure the, the, the TikTok uh, minutes of when the, the vote took place, but it, it was probably it could have been that day. It was it right. was over. it was it was a quick decision. I mean, not, not that it, was, it wasn't a well thought out decision, but it happened relatively quickly, you know, probably over the course of the week or a couple of days.
1: Well, we know that Giannis knew, you know, like, I guess, officially before, I guess, Jason Kidd officially knew. Does that mean that they asked Giannis if that was OK for them to do it? No, I mean, actually, uh, they didn't do that, right? Because Giannis was upset. No. But, so I guess, well, either way, based on the answer, you, uh, fill that in. I don't want to answer your question for you. Uh, what does that mean, with, as far as the decision and how Giannis weighed in or didn't weigh in?
0: Well, I, I think you know, I talked to, to, to John Horst uh, for an interview that I posted a couple of days afterwards, and you know, he he mentioned that you know, it was in the context of you know, they let go of assistant coach Frank Johnson, who had worked very closely with Jabari Parker, and oh. Jabari was was very close with him. Uh, Frank had just gotten brought in. This year, he was, uh, you know, he, Jason Kidd had played for the Phoenix Suns when when Johnson was an assistant there, and, um, you know, so and Kidd knew that Johnson was good with working with young players, so he became kind of the Jabari coach. And when I asked John Horst about that, uh, about you know, do you take into account the the feelings of a guy like Jabari Parker if you're letting go of the assistant coach who he's gotten close with? He's like, listen, you know, it this is a business, you know, we're not going to take into account. The, the, the one-off emotional you know, feelings of one player, whether it's Jabari or Malcolm Brogdon or Giannis. Like, we're not going to take in, those things into, into account if we think we're doing the right thing. like you know that's, that's kind of the most important thing here. And so you kind of saw that in the Jason Kidd decision where you know Giannis ha, has said many times he's a very loyal guy. And he, Jason Kidd's been the longest tenured coach of his career. Uh, and he's helped him go from the player he was in his second year to the player he is now. I mean, he put the ball in his hands, he trusted him, um, he pushed him, he, he did a lot of things that Giannis believes, you know, were crucial and, and probably very well were crucial to him becoming an elite level player. And so obviously he feels attached to that coach. But at the end of the day, the Bucks as an organization didn't feel like Jason Kidd was the best coach for right now. Not that he wasn't helpful in the past or a positive influence in the past, but he wasn't the coach that they would need going forward. And, you know, I I talked to one of the co-owners, Wes Edens, uh, that day, and I just said, you know, how do you feel about these, uh, these things that Giannis has reportedly said? Because at that point we hadn't been able to talk to Giannis to confirm them. And later on he did. Um, I said, how do you feel about that? He's like, oh, I, I think it's great that he feels that loyalty and he feels that emotion. He should feel that. And that's that's normal and that's natural. But he's gonna. But at the end of the day, he wants to win, and that's what that ownership group wants to do. That's what John Horst wants to do. The front office, everybody else in that building, they want to win. And so, if you know, winning is gonna trump all all those emotions. And if they can continue to keep winning like they have recently, then then those things will blow over over time.
1: Yeah, I mean, remember, yeah, winning will change a lot of things. And here's my other question then: If we talk about on the court stuff, I did a video on what was going on, what I thought was going on, my issues. What What's your take on the specific stuff about Jason Kidd as a head coach? And then we can get into communication as well, and the not even the X's and O's. What about it uh, really ended up being such a troubling thing for them specifically?
0: You know, I, I think just the their biggest issue was the inconsistency that he couldn't get guys to run his system consistently enough um, and, and to be in the spots they need to be, especially you look at the defense. You know, when he first put that defense in a couple years ago, it was a top five in the NBA defense. You know, teams weren't used to it. Might have been top ten, but it was up there uh, for that first season he came in when they went from 15 wins to basically 500 and made the playoffs um, back in that 14-15 season. Uh, It was it was fairly high in terms of their defensive rating. Um, But over time, teams adapted. That defense didn't adapt. But part of it was you would see the kind of what the Bucks were looking for and uh, and what that defense was designed to do. You would see it in in fits and spurts. Um, but then there'd be parts where guys would miss assignments or miscommunicate or just not give the effort that was necessary. And that's what Jason Kidd would always harp on. He's like, Hey, this this works if, if the guys play it. And if they're if they're playing hard. And he would always point to energy and effort and it not being there in the games where they struggled and you know, that that might grate on players and great on, on the front office if he just keeps kind of throwing the, the blame back on them uh, yeah. for for not playing the system. Uh, but that's what he believed. You know, he, he believed that if they played the system, if they played as hard as they could at all times, you know, things would work out. And so that's that, that's kind of an issue uh, on offense. I, I don't know if they necessarily had the creativity at all times to um, to come up with ways to get guys open looks and open shots and to, and to force the ball to move. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they, they would get stuck in certain sets that they really liked, and they would work for a little while, and then over the course of a couple games, they'd stop working as teams would watch the film, yeah, and, right. they, and they wouldn't have a backup. And, so, and then they kind of just revert to iso ball. So I think those things uh, would probably hurt them.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think that there was an over-reliance on a very specific set, the, the high post split, I call it, where they would enter the ball at the high post, and then they would screen in the corner. And, and it, you know, they do have some nice wrinkles out of it, but it was sort of rote. It was very much like, I have to wait until you go, and now I must wait till there. And the ball never really moved while you're doing that. And if you're doing that, you know, and listen, if you do one set 25% of the time, that's a lot. And it was probably at least that amount of time because it was like, oh, there it is again. And I, and I actually kind of... Respected that, like okay, like this is his thing. Like so this is their sort of. And here's the thing: the high post split action is an action; it's not really an offense. And they kind of treated it like it was their triangle offense version. And I always found that fascinating. And again, I must stress: like this year, for instance, I mean, well, now it's a little bit skewed because of the last few, several games. But they were, I think, top ten offensively. Right now, they're they're tenth offensively. Uh, they might have been eighth even when he got fired, as I remember when I did the video. Yeah, they, they so, could have
0: been. I think I think a week
1: ago. Um, they might have even been seventh, seventh or eighth in offensive efficiency. Yeah, and that happens to me a lot where I criticize an offense and I go check and I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're very efficient. But uh, again, you, you also can feast on a lot of bad teams. And so suddenly if that's the case and you don't have a lot of, the foundation isn't great, you have some you know, maybe inflated numbers. But um, you know, a lot of times you, you get a lot of the, the players saying the right thing. You know? And certainly I, I believe Giannis sounded completely distraught and upset about the whole thing. Other players might have been saying, you know, the very normal, you know, I respected him. He was a good coach, and whatever. I wish him well. You might have heard that. So, but I think the proof ends up being after he's gone, and then you start hanging around the team a little bit, like you have. Is there a cloud that's been lifted? Do, like, do people seem a little bit happier just by maybe even the fact that he's not the head coach?
0: Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say that, but because it's hard, because you have to remember that they've won four in a row. So they, I think they, they could just be happy that they're winning. Um, but I, I think that one thing that Chris Middleton said recently kind of, um, you know, stuck where he was asked about what the difference is between Jason, a Jason Kidd team and a Joe Prunty team. And, and he mentioned that the team has been taking, you know, the team takes the shape of their coach. And he said that the Prunty's are kind of a more go with the flow guy. He, he picks you up and that he, he, you know, helps create, situation where the ball moves side to side and guys are playing together and guys are playing hard and you know that that's something that, that the guys have said that, that Joe is just a super positive guy and I don't you know I think Malcolm Brogdon said not that Jason Kidd wasn't positive um, but they're different you know and, and Jabari Parker too he, he mentioned that you know Jason he's, he, he made sure to couch it in that one wasn't better than the other but he did say that Jason came at it like a player and so he'll get in your face like a player would like, you know, he's like, oh, like Chris Middleton or John Henson, they'd get in your face. It doesn't matter who it is, but he would get in your face and kind of react differently, whereas Prunty has always been a coach. And so he kind of comes at it like a coach does and tries to build you up and, and does these different things. So you can kind of read into that uh, how you want. Uh, I think there are definitely some things to read in there, um, you know, but they're just a very different approach and it's a different feel. And even though they might be running some of the same, you know, you can't really change your scheme that much at this point in the season i mean right. especially when you're when you have the same coaching staff i mean you, you can't just i mean granted they had three days off after a kid was let go but, but that's still not enough time to change everything you need training camp you need the off season you need right. time
1: but by the way so, if you're wondering why it happened then that's as good a reason as any is that they had three days off and they're like if we're gonna do it anytime because i'm sure they don't have three days off in a row i mean maybe the no. all-star break but that's about it
0: yeah, well, and then you know Giannis is going to be out for the All-Star break, and you know Malcolm Brogdon is going to be there at the, at the Rising Stars. So you're not going to have your whole team together. Guys go on vacation. You're not going to have yeah. a ton of days of work together. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, having three days off in a row, I mean, granted, uh, so he was fired on a Monday. Tuesday, because they had played a back-to-back, was a, a scheduled off day where they weren't going to have anything at all anyway. Um, you know, so they had or it wasn't a back to back. It was a Saturday, Monday, but they had they had scheduled with three days off to get the guys totally off on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, so that was always planned. But still, at least you have two days, Wednesday and Thursday, to kind of like get things going and let things like kind of air
1: out. Now, I, 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 I will be remiss because I kind of let that go as you're talking about the differences between Prunty and Kid because uh, I think that there's probably a really uh, provocative headline for my podcast somewhere in there uh, as far as the the comparisons. So um, so you mentioned, okay, so the, the the feeling tends to be that Jason Kidd was probably more of a, like in your face. I, I would probably say old school. I mean, it's kind of almost like he would have benefited from being, from learning how to coach, right, from being like an assistant instead of just jumping from being a player to a head coach of an NBA team in the Nets and then, all, all of a sudden to the Bucks, it, it, that that is definitely one of those things where it kind of felt like there were some very strange coaching things that were going on that you wouldn't normally make. Like, I, and I pointed out in the video, there was the foul up by four. Oh yeah. There was the missed the intentional free throw up by three. Uh, I mean, you watch them closely every day. Something tells me that even though those two things came up, to, you know, to national prominence, there probably was more of those weird things happening over the last several years with him coaching, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, he he had his. I mean, granted, it's my first year on the beat. I have uh, watched them over the past couple of years. Uh, I I'm probably was about there for like 20 games a year, helping out Charles Gardner, who uh, who had been on the beat before me and then retired. But yeah, those things, um, those weren't the only things. I, I'm I'm sure of it. They they weren't the only kind of ran things. I know <laughs> that in the in the moment they seemed weird, you know, with with the fouling up four. You know, and that was the one who was like, hey, like, so what was the philosophy there? What's the plan? And, you know, he mentioned fouling up four. He's like, oh, well, they just wanted to drive and get quick twos, and our guys didn't want to foul them, so they were shooting going to get easy twos. So I figured instead of letting them have easy twos, I'd just foul them and make them shoot two free throws. And then it, it, it kind of exonerated them in the sense that they missed one of those free throws, and so, like... It ended up working out, but wait it's still a minute. Not, yeah,
1: it's, it's still not a good plan. Like, wait a minute. Actually, I read that and thought how dumb and that crazy that was. But you speaking it out loud, I, I had a moment oh, I I'm like, oh, wait a minute, like right, because they might miss. You know, you can't. That's not the odds to play. But okay. I, well, yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I
0: know. It, wow. it's, if, <laughs> if you do that, if you do that every time, chances are pretty good that it's not going to work out. It's you know, yeah. and, you're, and you're still in a position of, of power, and you have the four point lead, and there's like thirty seconds left, so like, it it was not super likely to come out come back to bite them, but it made it more likely that they would fall into a right. bad situation. Yeah, because it's the
1: only of, way to give the other team a chance at all is to stop the clock like that, and that's yeah, stop that the one clock and, and,
0: and give them and give them chances at high percentage points. Um, so but yeah. you know, and then fouling up three, it was like okay, or, or uh, missing the the free throw. It was, there was like just a couple seconds left, like one, two, three, I can't remember exactly. And he was like, all right, we're up three, missed the free throw. I'd rather have them have to chuck it didn't possibly tie the game, then he's like, oh, I, well, I think he said in the moment, he's like, oh, knowing us, one of our guys might have fouled him on shooting a three. He's like, well, then don't foul him shooting a three. Yeah.
1: And by the way, LeBron didn't come that far off from making that shot, even though it was far. No. But, and, and, you know, but that's not, the, the idea is, is when there's like half a second left right? Like, sure. that's when you do that, maybe. But no, it, you never do it. Not when you're there. Not up by three. It's like if, no, if you're... just th- make it. Yeah, just make it. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so... And, but any other examples you want to give me while we're talking that are weird or no? Or that nothing uh, coming to your head? Nothing's no, coming up from this season,
0: at least. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's possible that he could have... Um, it could have helped him going from a player to being an assistant coach to kind of, you know, get mentored by a coach. And maybe that was what he thought, or maybe that's what he... Thought he was doing during the later stages of his career, um, you know, where he wasn't necessarily playing as much. Maybe he was kind of collecting information uh, and, and building towards his, his second career. Um, I don't know that. Um, but you look at some of the, the situations that came up and you think, well, it might
1: have helped. Right. To, well, to by the way, kind of help. Yeah, yeah, and look at Steve Kerr. Like, he's a player. He never coached before, and look what he's doing. Uh, he's had a lot more time to sort of be out and look, and then he did his research. So he had apprenticeships, basically, as a, an assistant, so basically, without actually sitting on a bench every night with a team. Uh, but, you know, there are examples, I suppose, of that a little bit, but it definitely feels like in Jason's kid, uh, Jason Kidd's uh, instance, it should have been, uh, or he probably would have helped him, I, I think. Uh, now let's well, talk you know, about Kurt. Yeah. Kurt worked at Kurt worked
0: in a front office. He yeah. was a broadcaster. Like he, he took that time to kind of, you know, you're dealing with coaches. You may not be on the bench with them, but you're dealing with coaches. You're talking to coaches. You're learning more about the game and you're watching a lot of games and not yeah. that you know, Jason didn't do any of those things. Um, but what you do know, you think about it, this? It, it's
1: a different situation. Do you think that the players, was there any issue? The fact that I don't think he ever drew up a play on a clipboard that was prunty the whole time. Right. So was that ever Are, a thing?
0: Uh no, he drew up some plays. Uh did? There, there 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 were some times where he'd draw them up. It wasn't always Prunty, but uh yeah, I remember there would be huddles where he'd they'd come in and he'd have stuff on the board. Um but it there there was a lot of Pronti. I mean, the way that they split it up was that Prunty was in charge of the offense, Sean Sweeney's in charge of the defense, and and they kind of, you know, huddled together and and then they were able to present it to, to the players. But I think that there were times he, he drew things up, for sure.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, I'll, whenever I saw it, obviously, if you're not there, you only see what the TV shows you. It seemed like Prunty was always up in front and center uh, a lot of the time, at least. And uh, certainly, to me, it seems like if the, the head coach should probably be the only guy to do that. I mean, otherwise, the players might not think you know what you're talking about, right? Like, you know, Or or are Randy Whitman. Did you ever see that, that clip of Randy Whitman? when he couldn't get the clipboard the right way he wanted it and he kept <laughs> yeah. flipping it upside down. And by the way, I, I don't blame him. I think I've heard that certain players in the way they digitally process have to have the board a certain way. They can't flip it and see it the other way. And, you know, it's possible to, just to defend Whitman for a second that maybe he kept like he couldn't remember exactly how, you know, one of his players needed it and then he got frustrated and he got whatever. But, you know, either way, um, it's, it, that was a bad look. The last four, the last four games they've won um, against the Suns It was a close game, but again it had been tumultuous, having just been you know losing their head coach. They blew and, out and the y- Nets.
0: And, and, yeah. Well, and, and Giannis didn't play. Oh, and Giannis, so when Giannis, Giannis didn't play, doesn't right. play that. And I don't. Malcolm Brogdon. Didn't, oh no, he did play that game. He scored a career high. Uh, but Malcolm, uh, but uh, Giannis didn't play. So, so okay, so yeah.
1: that, that's another reason. So then they go and they blow out the Nets. They blow out the Bulls. Uh, they beat the Sixers handily. Um, those are all, you know, it's not like they're eking these out and barely winning and somehow at the end. Like these are, that's probably what they're supposed to be doing, right? That's what they, uh, the ownership probably had envisioned. You know, they, they maybe they don't beat uh, the Cavs. Maybe they don't beat, you know, the, uh, the the Rockets. But they should handily beat the Nets and the Bulls. And that's what they did. Um, what's happening? Did they change the lineup thing? What's What do you see on the court now?
0: You know, uh, I think that the guys are... You know, definitely buying in, uh, especially yeah, on both ends, really. I mean, you look at their offense, they had like two straight games, 28 assists. They had 21 and a half against Chicago. The ball is moving uh, before they would get into periods where things might get difficult and the ball wouldn't move. And you could see it. You could see like, you know, Giannis would take his turn to do a couple isos. Middleton would take his turn. Bledsoe would take his turn. And if those guys weren't getting positive results off those isos, they'd probably lose. Um, because they would they would fall into that habit, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, but in, in recent games, they've they've really kept the ball moving. They've they've tried to vary up a, a few different sets and, and open things up. Um, you know, on, on defense, guys are they know what position they're supposed to be in. They've stopped being as aggressive in terms of their trapping. Um, they've been a little bit more conservative with the way that they've played things, and that that's you know worked out pretty well. I mean, it helped that. Uh, all three of those teams, that I'm pretty sure, didn't shoot well from three. I know uh, Philly was like two of 26 from three. Not all of them were contested. Uh, a lot of them were. A lot of a lot of them were. Um, but they, you know, they they missed a, a couple open ones or a lot of open ones. Um, and so generally, they they've just kind of had that that buy-in. The, the lineup hasn't changed that drastically. We've seen a little bit more Jason Terry, uh, just kind of giving some given some some vet energy off the bench, uh, making a couple shots. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's been out a couple games uh, with a calf injury. Uh, Eric Bledsoe's going to be out tonight against the Timberwolves. Uh, so they've had some kind of moving pieces, but everybody who's come in has been confident and, and been able to contribute at the level that the Bucks would hope. So, um, and you mentioned them uh, handily taking care of teams. That's something that they really hadn't done. I mean, most of the season, you know, they didn't really uh, put teams away. I mean, they got beat by 30 by Dallas. I yeah. mean, they, they, they have, they've played uh, some, some of the, the highest percentage of close games in the NBA this season because no matter what would happen, either they'd be up by a lot or down by a lot, they, they'd somehow find a way to equal it out in the fourth quarter uh, you know, and not really be able to put teams away. So for them to be able to do that multiple games in a row has been a positive sign and, and something that they've struggled with not just this year, but the past couple of years as well.
1: Okay, let's talk about three-point percentage defense because I'm curious. Are you aware of what it was or what it is overall for the whole season? Uh, I know it was really bad. Twenty-second. Like, uh, yeah. So were...
0: Well, that that's much better than what it was.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. Oh. Okay. It was about, well. It's twenty-second overall because now, they're. I want to say they're number one in three-point percentage defense. Again, tiny sample size. I'm oh, sorry. In the, over the four games since they left. Again, tiny yeah. sample size against certain teams, but. Uh, their defensive rating overall is twenty fourth and, th- and now it 's in the last four games it 's third so again, something to look for at least i 'm going to have to dig into the footage and see like if there 's any tangible evidence of like better defensive stuff, but certainly yes the, the trying to trap the pick and roll way too often was giving up short rolls or they give up wide open threes, which is what you don 't mm-hmm. want to do in this league. Uh, you know maybe you would want to do that in two thousand and eleven uh, and that 's the other issue you have is like, you know Jason Kidd is a player as a product of the '90s. The 90s is a kind of a dangerous era for coaching, if you believe it or not. Like, whenever I reference old school, old fundamentals that are not applicable anymore, I usually reference the 90s coach, primarily because the 90s is when. All those years of, you know, uh, from 1940 to 1990, all they built up all this information they thought was like rock solid ends up sort of not being right. And uh, back, you know, no, you know, the threes weren't taken and the way they were rotated on defense. So um, anyway, so that's what I'm noticing. And it's certainly a huge trend in, in, the, uh, in, in, a, in a good direction defensively. Uh, I'm sorry, did you say like, are they playing like harder defensively? Did you feel like, they, you know, you mentioned the ball moving more. Is there more energy on defense as well?
0: I I think there is. I think there's definitely better communication. I think they've made an emphasis uh, since Prunty's been around to – ensure that guys know exactly where they're supposed to be and what they're <laughs> supposed to be doing. Not, not, okay. that it was, not, not that it wasn't important before, but that's one thing that Pronti has mentioned. Like, hey, we need to communicate first and foremost, and then we need to be in the right spots. That's like when you ask him about the defense and what's wrong with it, that's the first thing he went to was that guys need to be in the right spots and then maybe they hadn't been in the right spots or inconsistently had done that where one possession, like, everybody does it perfectly. The next possession, everybody's like, whatever. Uh, and so they need to... To, to really hone in on that and, and being where they need to be, um, but yeah, they've definitely uh, seemed more cohesive at that end and um, less less aggressive, well, less uselessly aggressive. You know, they're they're being aggressive in the right spots, but they're not wasting energy and effort. You know, being aggressive in spots that are actually going to hurt them.
1: For sure. Well, listen, Matt, this was an amazing uh, podcast, a lot of great information here about what happened and why and where they're going and looking forward. Uh, do you have any predictions as we move along here to the rest of the season and what the Bucks are going to do as far as record uh, and seeding and everything?
0: Well, uh, before the season, I, had, I think I projected them at being a 47-win team. I think that was my official uh, projection for the newspaper. Um, I think they have every opportunity to get to that point. I think that they – they should be in contention for the four spot in the East, especially with Jabari Parker come back, coming back. Uh, just from what I've seen of him at practices, he looks very good. He 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 looks lo- just like the Jabari uh, really? who, but before he got hurt last year. I mean, he's throwing up crazy dunks. He's still got his quick first step. Uh, he looked confident on his knee. Uh, you know, uh, he's had plenty. He was ahead of schedule in his rehab. But they you know, wanted to take things step by step and, and slowly and be careful. That's kind of what he wanted to do, especially. Uh, he didn't want to cut any corners. And so they spent the last six weeks really working on his conditioning, giving him as much game-type action in practice with the Bucks and the Wisconsin Herd as possible. Uh, so he's been able to test that. And I don't, obviously, you know, he's going to have some adjustment when he comes back. But he could really make a big difference for them in terms of adding depth and another score, and I mean, if you always have one or two of Giannis, Middleton, Bledsoe, and Parker on the court, I mean, you could eat up some second units uh, with, with those guys and spread the minutes out, you know, especially with Giannis and Middleton playing near the top of the NBA in minutes, so um, I, I think that they, the the floor should be the five seed for them. They they have the talent, they have the ability, and they're currently healthy enough to, to make that move relative to some other Eastern Conference teams, so I guess that would be my prediction is is that the, the, the anything lower than the five would be um, you know, kind of a, a letdown.
1: For sure. And that, I agree. It looks like that way exactly right now. I mean, if they were to win, they're at 55% of the winning, winning percentage right now, which would get them to 45 wins, which is your prediction, which is, seems very reasonable and maybe even higher. Uh, and I tell you, you know, the, the Cavs would be a little bit concerned about having to play them uh, in the playoffs. I feel like Giannis could be a thing where they would have, if they could figure out a way to force uh, LeBron to have to guard him, uh, then you, you, you I, I just want that as a sort of a fan. I want to see Giannis and you know, LeBron have to go against each other. Uh, LeBron on defense, and um, I think that would be a really exciting uh, series that could go uh, uh, quite, quite long.
0: Oh, yeah, that would that'd be incredibly fun. It'd, it'd be the, something that I think every NBA fan would love to see, whether it's a first round series or a second round
1: series. Just let's just make it happen. Yeah, and then and then we just got to make it sure that because you know they. they Here's the secret is they, they hide LeBron, right? They don't usually let him guard those good players. But if we can figure it out, I, you've got to guard Giannis. A couple of times last year, I think it was, where Giannis like, backed him down in the post and he had to follow him. And I could just remember the look on LeBron's face. Um, you know, not no disrespect, no disrespect to LeBron. I just love the you know the young upstart, you know, underdog, you know, taking it to the guy. And LeBron was like, "What? You, you can't do that. You can't back me down in the post, and then you uh, and you're calling a foul on me." Like it was great, and I want to see, I, I want to see how he reacts and more of that. So, uh, Matt, you'll have to come back on the show. We'll, we'll have to check back in and see how accurate this was as we get later on in the season. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, just keep me posted. All right, cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show and joining us, and. Don't forget, sports fans, at P-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Matt? Oh, I'm in.